Wow, it is so easy to preach a sermon after that sort of worship. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Why don't I just pray for us just to start our time together. Lord, I thank you so much, Father, for your word. Lord, for the privilege that it is for us to come today and to worship you, Lord. I pray especially, Father, that as we come and we look at a challenging topic today, Lord, that your blessing might go before us, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for the cross and for your powerful death and resurrection, Father. And I pray today that it won't be my words that the church hears, but Father, it will be your powerful spirit speaking into their lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today we're actually speaking on the topic of being quick to listen, slow to speak. And I actually remember you, Pastor Matthew, preaching a message on this years back in our night service, and you actually titled it The Sermon on the Mouth. And um, today I'm going to give it, a, a, I'm going to give, I've given it two titles, right? I'll tell you what the second title is later. But the first title, just for the start, is called You and Your Big Mouth. <laughs> this year in July, we actually remembered 50 years since the moon landing. And if you take your mind back to the Cold War period, you'll know that America and the Russians were in this bitter Cold War, in, in, in this bitter Cold War and this bitter space race to see which nation would be the first one to successfully land somebody on the moon. And actually, we speak a lot about the Apollo landing, but we seldom speak about the Russian side of the space race and what happened. Because the reality is, is that even though the Russians started their space race after the Americans, and the Americans probably had the superior uh, designers and engineers, we seldom talk about the successes that the Russians actually had in the space race, and they were the, the first ones to actually get a rocket into space and successfully have um, their first man and the first woman to actually get into space. So when it came to who was actually going to win the race and get somebody onto the moon, everybody expected the Russians to win. But something actually happened in their testing which put the Americans ahead and eventually allowed the Americans at the end of July to successfully land their spaceship on the moon. The Russians were designing a, a rocket ship, which they, were, which they called N2. And the Americans, it was to rival the Saturn V, which was the spaceship that the Americans were using. And if you've ever seen images of it, you'll know that they had basically four big, five big engines at the back. The Russians decided to build something that was a bit more efficient and something that could be built a bit quicker. So they decided that they would have 30 engines. If you have 30 engines, yes, you've got more engines, but you can build smaller engines. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a rocket scientist, but basically from what I'm led to believe, how I understand it, that in order to counter gravity, you need to have a lot of oxygen and a lot of fuel, and they get pumped into the combustion chamber, and that lights a spark that sort of sends the rocket ship and gives it thrust to get off the ground. But the Russians had this beautiful rocket ship, the N2, with its 30 engines, and in their second testing, they launched it up into space, they got the thrust going, and suddenly it just collapsed and it exploded and it fell down back onto the, la the launch pad and it exploded with the force of a small nuclear bomb. And after the fact, when they were doing their diagnostics and trying to identify what went wrong, and this is millions and billions of dollars worth of technology, they were doing their diagnostics to try to find what the cause of the problem was, and they realized that the problem was actually something quite small. Something that looks a bit like this. If you can't see what I'm holding, it's a screw. Somebody had not tightened one of the screws, and this screw was sent off 
and it actually loosened from its position and it fell into one of the oxygen chambers and with the pressure, it actually caught a light and then it exploded and one of the engines failed and this led to a series of disasters that caused the rocket to actually explode. Can you imagine that? Billions of dollars worth of technology all for somebody not to tighten a screw. Billions of dollars worth of technology. The reason why I share this story with you is because each and every one of us has one of these loose screws. It's, we have got billions of dollars worth of genetic material that God has put into us, sophisticated design, but the problem is we all have a loose screw in our lives. It isn't the person you're married to. The loose screw is your tongue and my tongue. Sophisticated design, but when the tongue is loose, it causes great catastrophes in our life, doesn't it? One loose screw, your tongue and my tongue, causes big disasters. You know, and and we men, we have a disadvantage as opposed to you women. Because we have the commander up here, but we also have another admiral downstairs. Right? But the truth is this, is that we have to all get a hold of the loose screw our tongue. Put it this way. If Donald Trump would get control of the screw and the admiral, America would have a perfect president at the moment. But the truth is, is that unless we control the loose screw in our life, unless we control the tongue, none of our relationships can be effective. And this is why today's sermon is so practical. Because in a world where everybody is quick to speak and slow to listen, we have a world in which social media and text messaging has given us a bigger platform to speak from. We need, as followers of Jesus, to learn how to control our tongue. And we need to be able to learn how to control our ears. It's not a mistake that God has given us two ears, but only one tongue. It should teach us that there's something that he wants us to do more than speaking, and that is listening. And James, the head of the church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, the younger brother of Jesus, one of the key leaders in the Christian movement, wrote to all the churches, and this was one of the first key practical, practical principles that he gave them. He said, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This was such a practical principle that he gave to the church. James has probably the most unique testimony out of everybody in the Bible. He was the one who grew up with Jesus. He saw Jesus. He is the only one whose brother was God. It is a phenomenal testimony. What was his household like growing up? And this leader, if Acts doesn't talk about it, but basically he got into so much trouble for preaching about the resurrection of Jesus that the high priest had him arrested and stoned to death. It was a massive scandal because when James was killed, he was killed in an illegal trial that forced the new governor in that providence to actually sack the high priest as a result of what he did. So James has an incredible story. And when he talks and he writes to the church, he gives them this first piece of practical principle. It's not a theology discourse. It is a simple lesson about every single person. Every one of us should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Every one of us needs to get control of our tongue. It is remarkable. And today I'm going to teach you how we all get control of our tongue. 
It's very simple. Stick out your tongue and hold it like this. <laughs> if you do that, you've tamed your tongue. You can't yell when you do that. I'm going to give you some practical principles today. And I love the fact that James says every one of you should be quick to do this. Because the truth is, this is a problem that we all struggle with. It isn't your husband's problem. It isn't your wife's problem. It isn't your teenage son or daughter's problem. It isn't your boss at work. It's you and I. We all have a problem with this. We are all at times slow to listen and quick to speak. But I'm going to give everybody a couple of key principles today. And it's going to be easy for you to remember this principle because I've come up with a little an acronym for you. And it spells out the word tongue. You've heard of talking in tongues. Today you're going to hear about listening in tongues. All right? So our analogy starts off with the T. Tame your temper. It shouldn't surprise us that the very first thing that James speaks about when he talks about being quick to listen is talking about taming one's temper. The Bible speaks a lot about controlling one's temper. James himself says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Paul in Ephesians says, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In Proverbs, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. The Bible makes it really clear that unless we control our temper, we are fools. Think about a lot of the issues that you and I have in our life. It stems from our temper, doesn't it? It stems from our inability to want to listen to what other people have to say, but just convey our point of view. And the great thing about technology and medical science today is it's actually talking about neurologically and physiologically what's going on in our body when we get anger, angry. The body releases certain chemicals when we get angry. Our heart rate and our blood pressures and stuff goes up. When you're angry, it makes it harder to listen to people because you just want to get your own point of view across. That's why we elevate our voices when we shout. The first thing we have to do in order to be people who can tame our tongues and people who are quick to listen is to learn to control our anger. There is nothing righteous about yelling and screaming at people. There is nothing godly about using cursive and abusive language at people. God doesn't like it when his followers are using the F word and all these other words to yell at people. It's simple. It's the most practical thing we as Christians and as followers of Jesus or anybody can do to be a follower, to, to walk in the way that God sees as righteous, and that is to control our temper. The second thing is this. We have to learn to observe reasonable silence sometimes. The reason why I say reasonable silence is God doesn't want us to be silent. He doesn't want us to use to not use our words. When we see injustices, when things aren't right, he does want us to speak. But there are times where God wants us to use our ears and to remain silent before we do anything else. And this is so critical. As I was saying before, we're living in a world where our voices are not just heard through when we actually use our voice box. Our voices are now heard behind a keyboard when we're typing letters on a keyboard now, when you're texting people, you're speaking to people. So it's really important to note that there are times where we're not serving God through using our words. Sometimes when we see things in the world and we're angry and we're upset, God wants us to actually take a step back from that situation and maintain some silence for a little while. A lot of people these days are getting into trouble because of the way that they're unhealthily expressing their opinion. Right? Sometimes it's better 
in our service of God if we maintain silence first before speaking. Think about the recent issue which has been happening for the last few months with Israel Folau. Now, of course, God doesn't want us to remain silent on these issues. That's not what I'm saying. But he does want us to exercise wisdom in how we share. If you're the type of person who can't keep your opinions to yourself, if you have to say everything and you have to blurt it out, you actually do God a disservice sometimes when you speak. Sometimes you actually serve God better through remaining quiet, actually using the right type of platforms and the right types of methods of saying things. It doesn't actually help anybody's causes if you're just posting things on, online, Bible bashing people, talking about how everyone's going to hell. It actually doesn't help our cause. Sometimes it's important to use silence and to use wisdom in what we do. Teach that. Train your young people to do that as well. When they're texting... Sometimes it's better not to do those things. The third thing is really important as well, because we're talking about being quick to listen. But being quick to listen actually also comes with the responsibility of making sure that you're listening to the right sorts of things. The third principle I want to offer you today is the end. Not everything is worth listening to. Yes, God wants us to be quick to listen, but there are times where listening is not effective. The Bible says the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws out of them. What is Solomon saying? He's saying we all have a lot of thoughts. We can all go to the world time and time again, but the key when we're listening is to draw out only what is necessary. There are things in our life which listening isn't the most effective thing to do. I was recently released, reading an article on, uh, it's an online company called List25. Basically, all this online company does is construct lists. They pick a topic and they put a list together. Right? Everybody loves a list. It makes it easier to remember. And List25 came up with the list of the most annoying songs. Right? That's quite a list to come up with. And, you know, they had some interesting songs on there. Some maybe I would agree with, some maybe you will disagree with. I don't know. Number 25 on the list was Shares Believe. Right? Maybe it's a good song, maybe it's annoying. I don't know. They had songs like You're Beautiful by James Blunt. Apparently that annoys people to be told that. The Macarena also made the list. Barbie Girl by Aqua made the list. I mean, I, I was personally offended by that one. Come on. Come on. Crazy Frog made the list. I Love You by Barney the Dinosaur also made the list. Ooh, this one was a bit tough, for, will be tough for some of you. The Copacabana made the list by Barry Manilow. That was, I think, number 12. The Chicken Dance made the list. And unfortunately, the, most num the number one most annoying song to listen to was Let It Go, the song from Frozen. Right? Who would have figured parents don't like listening to songs that their kids like listening to? But the truth is this, is that if those songs annoy you, it doesn't serve you any advantage to listen to those songs. So there are things in our life which aren't worth listening to. Excessive criticism. If you have people in your life who are always tearing you down, who are always being critical of you, who are always talking badly about you, that is not effective to listen to. God doesn't want people running you down and talking you down. He doesn't see you in that light. He doesn't want you to have a low self-esteem. If there are people in your life who are always gossiping, those are the sorts of things that God doesn't want you to turn, uh, turn your ear to. A lot of the things that people in the media say are things that God doesn't want us to turn our ear to. We have a very distrustful media. We all know that. We all understand that. 
If people in the media tell you that it's raining outside, you better go and check for yourself. So there are things in our life, even when we adopt the principle of being quick to listen, we must remember that not everything is worth listening to. The fourth point I want to make is this, and this is probably the most important point. God is a listener. The reason why we are called and commissioned to be quick to listen is because God does that every day. When you think about the length of times that humans have been on this planet for, God could have said thousands, millions of things, but the Bible is actually very short. The life of Jesus, what's recorded in the gospel, is actually very short. You can get through it within a couple of months if you read one chapter a day. What does this tell us about the character of God? God is first and foremost a listener. God is listening to millions, potentially billions of prayers every single day, every single minute of the day. God is a listener. And he calls his followers to do the same thing, to be good listeners. What did God say to his people when they were in slavery? I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. What? He's heard them crying out. This was one of the things that David admired most about God. What did David say? He says, I love the Lord for he what? He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. That's true of so many of our stories. God has listened to us and he's heard our cries when nobody else has. God is quick to listen and slow to speak. That is our call and our commission to do the same thing. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. John boasts, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. Jeremiah, then you will call on my name and come to me in prayer and I will listen to you. God is a listener. He's not asking us to do anything that he himself has not first done. Our fifth point today is understand your fallibility. If you want to be a person who's quick to listen, it's important to understand your own weaknesses. See, often when we speak a lot, it's because we cherish our own opinions more than what other people might think on a subject. We think that we have all the answers and that we know everything. I know what's wrong in your life. I know what's wrong in your life better than you know what's wrong. I have the solution to this problem. I know everything. Me, me, me. God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants people to hear his voice, not our own voices. Our job is to direct people to what God has to speak into their lives, not just express our opinion all the time. The Bible says fools find no pleasure in understanding, but in airing their own opinions. God doesn't need us to yell and scream at other people all the time. He doesn't need us to, to speak in all the time to people's lives and to say, this is the answer to your problems. We all understand the idea that it, it doesn't just matter what we say, but also our motivation behind what we say matters. The timing behind what we say matters. You could have the best thing in the world that you want to say to somebody and you can say it to them at the wrong time. You could have the best thing to say to somebody, but in your heart you have bad motivations for why you want to say that. You could have the best thing in the world that you want to say, but the tone of your voice is wrong in the way you say it. God doesn't need us to be the police to the world. So many Christians, myself included, we can fall into this trap very easily. 
We think and we forget our own weaknesses and we simply judge people. We simply say, you're not living a good life. You're doing this wrong. You're posting that. You're saying the wrong things. You're addressing inappropriately. God doesn't want us to do that to people. He wants us to understand our weaknesses and out of our position of weakness to allow people to speak, to allow him to speak into other people's lives. The final thing is this, and this is a real practical principle for all of us. We actually speak loudest sometimes through silence. So my final point is this, evangelize, and evangelism is just another way for sharing the gospel through silence. Sometimes not speaking, not using words, is actually the most powerful way that you can win people to Jesus. Think about it in your own life. Often it's not somebody standing up and preaching the most creative sermon or giving you a full theological discourse on the Trinity. Often it's simply the actions of people loving you that wins you over to Jesus. James makes the connection very clearly for us. Notice what he says right after he says, be quick to listen. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What is James saying? Why is he drawing the connection between looking after widows and orphans and keeping a tight rein on your tongue? He's saying it's simple. Your silence is more often than not the most powerful witness you have for people. I'm not saying that when you present the gospel you don't use words. That is necessary. But your actions and your silence, simply loving that person, simply being a person who listens to them, is sometimes the biggest difference. What are all counsellors first taught? They're not taught to simply speak most of the time in the counselling session. They're taught just to listen to the person. Reflect back on what you're hearing that person say. And that's how you win them over. That's how you allow them to pour their own hearts out. That is the first primary lesson of pastoral care. The people that serve you most in the church are the ones who are the best listeners. They can hear you through your struggles without judgment. When we do that in the world, we are winning people over to Christ simply by loving them, simply by hearing the cries of people in the world. What are the needs? What are the cries of the orphans? What are the cries of the divorcees in your workplace? What are the struggles that they're going through? When we hear those, that's when we win people over to Christ. The final thing I want to close is with this. You know, recently in the news, uh, you would have heard the story of, of, of Greta Thunberg, the Swedish uh, young teenager from Sweden who's been a climate change activist. She started a few years ago protesting and skipping school in order to protest in her native, um, native home of, of Sweden. And since then, she's rallied and she's influencing millions of people influencing millions of people. And she recently gave a speech um, at the UN Action Summit for Climate Change in New York. And she was angry when she gave the speech. And since that time, she's been vilified. And, and, and this, is not, this is not about sharing my opinion or wanting to hear your opinion about what you think about climate change, what you think about the science. That is your own opinion. It's not about her age. It's about the merit of her argument. And the fact is, is that when she gave this speech, she gave a very passionate and very angry speech. And sometimes we as Christians need a bit more passion in how we deliver things. But she talked about how, how the politicians were betraying people and how they were, the, the, the young people were waking up to the betrayal 
The reality is this is any person who actually works with young people knows that young people aren't waking up to the betrayal. You can't care and concern, have concern for the environment unless you first have care and concern for the one who created the environment. And the betrayal of our young people isn't what, how humans have polluted the planet, it's the way that humans have polluted the relationship with the good and perfect God. So young people won't ever wake up to the betrayal unless they first get in touch with the creator who's actually created the environment. But when she gave this speech, it made me realize one thing. It made me realize more and more we are speaking into a world where people have stopped listening to each other. You see, democracy used to be that I can speak to you about your opinion and you can speak to me about my opinion and we'll discuss things, right? But as we've seen very recently especially, democracy today means I will say my opinion, I will post my opinion, I will speak loudest, and if you don't like it, I will silence you from speaking. And I realised as she was speaking that she is speaking at the UN in front of men and women, the most powerful men and women on our planet. And I thought to myself, if Jesus was here today, would he take up an audience at the UN? Would Jesus be invited to speak and to give his opinion at the UN? Would Jesus stand in front of the most powerful men and women on the planet and say things to them like, how dare you, the young people are waking up to the betrayal? And the reality is, is that Jesus, the most extraordinary man on the planet, went most of his life saying nothing. And saying nothing. If I were Jesus and I came into the world and I have the most important message on the planet, the planet in which the, the message in which God can reconcile people to humanity, I would be saying it at every possible opportunity. I would be taking up opportunities to speak at the UN. I would be on social media trying to attract millions of followers. But the reality is, is Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't take up an opportunity to speak in front of the emperor of his day. Jesus didn't take up opportunities to take in big fees to fly all around the world talking to people about the message he had. And wouldn't that have been the most effective way to do it? Wouldn't that have been the most effective way to speak? No, Jesus spent most of his life listening. He spent most of his life listening. He didn't talk, to, he, didn't talk he didn't preach for 30 years. He only made his public address 30 years into his life. He listened for most of his life. One of the very first insights we get into Jesus is the story of Jesus as, 12, as a 12-year-old boy at the temple. The temple was the UN of his day for Jesus. That was the biggest audience Jesus could get in front of. That was the most powerful men he could get in front of. And what does it say? It says that after three days they found him in the temple courts. I love how it took Mary and Joseph three days to find him. If you're a parent and you're worried about your parenting skills, well, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. But what does it say? It says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. And that word teachers is just another way of saying sitting in front of the most powerful Jewish men of his day. Jesus is sitting in front of the UN of his day. And what is he doing? He's not yelling at them. He's not screaming at them. He's not saying to them, how dare you? How dare you do this? How dare you do that? He's saying to them, he's what? He's listening to them. He's listening to them and he's asking questions. And what everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. First he listens, then he asks questions, and only then does he speak. What a powerful, practical lesson for every single one of us. Being quick to listen means following the pattern of Jesus. 
listening, hearing what other people have to say, and then sharing about what God has done in your life. It shouldn't surprise any of us that the man who wrote this letter, James, the brother of Jesus, the man who grew up in the very household of, with Jesus, the boy who called him his eldest brother, the boy who saw his eldest brother be crucified, the boy who rejected his brother in, during his brother's public ministry, was the very same brother who knocked on his door and said, brother, I'm alive again. And James saw his brother, his resurrected brother. It shouldn't surprise us that James, when he writes this letter to this church, the first thing he really wants to engage them with, the first way he wants to rally his people, the Christians who are suffering, the people who the world had rejected and ostracized, was not to give them a great theological discourse. He gives them a practical message about being quick to listen and slow to speak. Where do you think he learned that from? He learned that from his bigger brother. Because he would have seen his bigger brother time and time again being quick to listen, slow to speak. That is the calling of each and every one of us as Christians. We don't call Jesus brother, but we call him Lord. Father, I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you spoke loudest and most powerfully at the cross, Lord. When you, you died for the sins of the world. And that's where you spoke to us, Lord. That's where you spoke to all of humanity, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that that practically, Lord, we will implement principles that will make us better disciples of yours, people who will listen rather than, than talking first, Lord. Help me with this in my life. Help the people in the congregation with this in their lives, Lord, and with their walk, Lord. And I pray for anybody here today, Lord, especially to people here today who have been trying to listen to your voice. Maybe they're listening to it in the midst of suffering, Lord. Maybe they're, they're not followers of you, but they're listening and they're interested in what you have to say, Lord. I pray that you might touch them and you might speak to them here. And that powerfully, Lord, you will do something in their life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.